to Aural Mess, a music podcast where we talk about all things music. My guest this week is Lou Lamonte. Lou and I had a great conversation about Steely Dan, other music, memes, and guitars. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Aural Mess, which is just a music podcast about anything and everything music and whatever else I feel like talking about. So uh, I'm joined tonight by Mr. Lou Lamonte, who is my first official guest. Thank you, Lou. If you want to introduce yourself, say a few words. It's an honor and privilege to be here. <laughs> I am a man from the internet with some common interests, and uh, I appreciate you taking the gamble. I don't know yes. if you made an assessment on me or if you're just taking your chances, but uh, thank you either way. I'm just taking my chances, and I'm sure so are you. So uh, we'll, <laughs> see, we'll see what happens, man. So, yeah, I mean, I think we connected on Instagram um, a while back, so, and Twitter too, but, you know, I, I started out just maybe a year or so ago making really stupid, or so I thought, Steely Dan memes, because, you know, somebody had to do more of them, right? I mean, you have some of those classic accounts on Twitter and, and Instagram, people that were doing it, but they just weren't putting a lot out. It was like few and far between, and they were doing other content, so... I was just like full of ideas for, you know, all different sort of templates and things and memes. So I started posting everything on Twitter and I got such a good response that I was like, let me just create a stupid meme account on Instagram and, and see what happens over there. Because, you know, there's a whole Steely Dan community there as well. So I think you're one of my first followers. Really? Oh, well, it's an honor. Um, I, I thought it was funny when I ran into you because I don't use Twitter that often outside of for work. Um, so I, w I thought it was also pretty funny that I f happened to find you on Twitter because, again, if I don't use Twitter very often, one of the very few things that the algorithm is going to be programmed to is pr for me is probably going to be Steely Dan. <laughs> so I guess it's not no surprise that I found uh, your content, but I had no idea it was you um, until we had that one interaction, which, you know, I, I would say small world, but since all 30 of us know each other. Um <laughs> Steely Dan community in our age group is not too big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think I'm a little bit older than than the average Steely Dan meme person online. So it's kind of funny because I'm like, you know, really enjoying the, the the sort of danaissance, you know, the 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 rebirth of of Steely Dan and it being in everybody's consciousness. You know, it's, it's great. Some of the Steely Dan chats that I'm in, like some of the kids are like 17, 18 years old, making banger steely dan memes i'm like this is cool like it gives me hope <laughs> yeah me too hope, hope for the future the kids are going to be okay um so i guess my question for you since we're on steely dan already we, we can sort of go off on that tangent um how did you get into them like you know what was your first experience or your first memory of hearing steely dan and and you know how big of a fan are you um yeah that's that's actually uh, i got into them Unlike a lot of the other music that was, I was exposed to in my formative years, I actually kind of delved into them on a deeper level on my own. Um, as a kid, I used to burn a lot of CDs and then like put them in my Walkman. So like there are certain songs that I, to this day I hear, and I used to use the fading, like the blending thing. So the last three seconds of one song, it blends into the first of another. So like to this day, I'll hear like Brandy by what is it spiral staircase or whatever it is and i'll be expecting to hear the james bond theme because like that's what my weird 12 year old brain like put together on because i had just found both at the same time and i'm like oh boy um so I, one of those cds had like dirty work on it and i remember my dad showing me do it again you hear reeling in the years just on fm radio anywhere you go but um those were the only three songs i really knew by them for a long time and then believe it or not i actually got very into Kanye West's graduation album in 2007 and like that's a very good album from start to finish and I kept listening to Champion and my mom you know I was in the car with my mom and I was like whose voice is this because I could tell he's sampling something and she listened it's like very clearly Donald Fagan's voice but if the only um you know three songs that you know and one of them that, I, that is dirty work like I didn't really know what Donald's voice sounded like she got it right away and was like Oh, that's Steely Dan. So I was like, oh, well, this sounds like a cool, um, Mel. It was just a piece of Kid Charlemagne. And, and then I went and found Kid Charlemagne and I found all this other stuff. And, you know, I guess I started with the first couple albums 
and, and a song or two from like whatever else and then just delved deeper and started going to see them every year. Uh, I've probably seen them like a dozen times or something like that at this point. And um, I don't know. It just spiraled out of control real quick. It got to a point where I was listening to them for at least an hour or two on a daily basis for at least five years. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like that's that's like not a like colloquially to get the point across. Like that's actually what happened. Um, so I I don't know. I've been listening to them at this depth and level for like maybe eight, yeah, seven or eight years at this point. So not as long as some people, but have already caught up probably in spending thousands of hours sitting and listening like way more than anybody should. <laughs> Yeah, well, same. And I feel like there's always something new, even, you know, on, on the 8,000th listen of some of these songs, like I'll just still pick up on something that I didn't really pick up on before, or I'll read something that triggers me to go back and listen to something that I want to dig deeper into. And then I hear it and I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> you yep. know, it's just, it's it's that unique discography that they have, I think, that, that you know, a lot of artists just don't have that depth. It's it's crazy. It's It's also interesting that each album has like a very different aesthetic from like you could tell which songs are from which albums more or less if you're like maybe 70 percent of it but um i i left a few gems that i knew that i you know i wanted to f i wanted to be able to still discover new stuff later outside of like outtakes so like i intentionally never listened to the entirety of pretzel logic and left like four or five songs that i never heard and then like earlier maybe like three four months ago i found monkey in your soul and that's probably one of the four or five songs that I don't that I don't know or haven't listened to hundreds of times. And I was just so excited to find it because it's so good. It's such an amazing song. Immediately I heard that um I is it like the E sharp seven ed nine chord? Like it's it's the basically the taxman. Like it's almost the Hendrix chord, yeah. but it's mm -hmm. it's very clearly influenced by Taxman. It um in my opinion, and the gr like the grunginess of the bass also, and the the bass line itself, like I hear a lot of Be Beatles influence in in Monkey in Your Soul, in my personal opinion. But uh, yeah, no, I agree, totally agree. So you play guitar, uh, and what else? Yeah, um, I started with piano at like age eight, and um, then taught like I took lessons from some guy from France who like had a couple CDs and was really good classical, you know, player. Uh, and he used to transcribe music for me. So like, I would ask him like, Hey, I want to learn how to play Bohemian Rhapsody. And he would, he had some computer program, like whatever you have in two, the year 2000 and transcribe this stuff and would bring it back and would like actually teach me. So I wouldn't have to learn like Mary had a little M, which, which really helps with the enthusiasm of learning. Cause when you're learning something and you, really don't understand a lot about the methodology of how to play it or even just the the chords or, or notes themselves. Like one of the things that helps me push through is imagining what, how much fun it will be to play the finished product. Cause the only thing better than listening to your favorite music is playing it. It's a lot of fun. So I keep thinking about that when I'm learning, if I'm having a hard time. So I don't know him, him transcribing stuff really helped a lot. Anyway, then I picked up guitar when I was 12 and kind of taught myself that and probably have played more of that in the past few years than piano. I also had a a teacher, this woman from Ukraine, who was my middle school music teacher, um, taught us how to sing. And she assembled some of her favorite kids from the middle school. And by the time we got into high school, like created this vocal ensemble and actually got us somehow into Carnegie Hall. And we sang at Carnegie Hall as like a six piece. Um, which was pretty cool. It was nothing that I would want to listen to like in the car, but uh, <laughs> it was still a, a fun experience. So that that's the gist. I guess I also play like, you know, harmonica and bass and whatever, like I can get my hands on, but you know, there's some stuff that you can't figure out, you know, and that's like, I don't have a lot of hours spent on those things. I'm just like proficient, you know, but <laughs> right. I, I want to know how to play sax and violin, but never took the time to figure it out. I used to play sax, but I stopped in after junior high. It was just like guitar became my thing and was into that for years. And then I just sort of stopped for a long time. You know, life got in the way. Yes. You know, wife, wife, kid, mortgage, the whole nine yards. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I dug out my, uh, you can't see I'm pointing to nothing, but 
um, dug out my guitars and, and I bought myself a bass because I had played bass on and off over the years too. And I'm just still struggling to make the time to take them off the wall and play. I mean, you know, every couple of weeks or so I'll do something, but it's fun. I'm not even going to attempt trying to play like any Steely Dan solo stuff. I mean, maybe some of the easier solos I'll, I'll tackle at some point, but. You, you could do it. I mean, I, 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 first of all, I identify with like not having the time. Things get carried, you know, I get carried away with life real quick. But uh, returning to it always, always feels really great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I honestly, I didn't think that I could play Steely Dan songs, and then I started to learn them, and some of them are simpler than others. Like I, like I would start if you want. Green Earrings is a lot of fun to play, and it's yeah. actually not that difficult. I surprisingly, um, I would recommend giving that one a shot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, if I can cop that pinch harmonic going into the the bridge. <laughs> oh, I wasn't talking about the solo, by the way. That I that I have not figured out. Do not let yeah. me fool you. That's not something I'll ever know how to do. Yeah. Denny Diaz, man, like I didn't even know that was him, you know, until I don't know a couple of years ago. I, I guess I started digging into like who was playing what on on what songs and stuff, and it's just unreal. He, he did another one on I think Katie Lie also, right? Oh, your gold teeth too. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of my favorite solos ever. It's recorded. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. How does he do what he does? Nobody knows. <laughs> Just natural talent, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what other music are you into besides the Dan? I mean, you know, we can talk about that for an hour, I'm sure. But you know, I'm, I'm trying not to make this a Steely Dan podcast. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, we're we're starting out strong. Just, I got the SDU hat on from Gordon at Double Wonderful. Um, and I got the shirt. Yep. Yeah. The, the neighbors are, li that's all it's good for just drowning out domestic mm -hmm. arguments. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I made a playlist today or yesterday rather for a couple of friends that I play music with usually improv, but sometimes like we all bring a, a riff either that we made up or somebody else. And we, and sometimes the other guys are not familiar with what it is. We build upon it. So I put a few on here that I wanted to uh, learn with them. Um, Bopcorn by Kung Fu, which is a strange song. Ferris Gallery by Ala Las. Big Night In by this guy Troy Roberts that I happened to see at a jazz club in Miami and became a big fan. I made it a collaborative playlist, at which point my friend Jesse satirically added I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> I don't really appreciate that, but uh, classic in its own right, I suppose. Uh, anyway... Just Kiss My Baby by The Meters, One in Seven oh. by Soul Live. Uh, you know One in Seven by Soul Live, too? Uh, I know of Soul Live, and I think the only two I know by them is when – is it them backing – is Dave Matthews in that band, or did he just do the the Ani DeFranco cover with them? I'm out of my depth. I have no clue. Oh, yeah. So um, uh, Joyful Girl by Ani DeFranco, great song. Oh, you should get into her. She's, she's fabulous, but um, – it's basically Soul Live covering that song with horns and just like this kick-ass bass part. And it's Dave Matthews singing, and I'm guessing he's playing guitar on it too. I didn't know if he was part of that group from time to time or if he was just on that one track. But Yeah, I think no. he's on the one track, but that's pretty cool. I, I like that. I'd like to hear that. Thanks for the heads up. I'll and I love the meter song, man. That's one of my favorites. That's such a good song. I honestly, I think that I like it better than Sissy Strut. Sissy Strut yeah. is just like such a classic riff, but... If I want to listen to the meters, it's probably going to be just Kiss My Baby. If you look up pocket in the dictionary, that's just a picture of the meters playing just Kiss My Baby, right? Definition, textbook definition. Um, I got uh, Minor Swing in here by Django Reinhardt, uh, old, you know, 30, 1930s gypsy jazz. Uh, yeah. Flashlight by Parliament. Yes. Uh, Green Eyed Lady by Sugarloaf. Um, Love it. Which brought me to Green Earrings by Steely Dan, uh, Ghetto Life by Rick James, the, and and a lot of these are like riff based songs that have a strange time signature. That was like the theme here, at least in my weird brain. And then finally, this is a song that I've been listening to on repeat for at least two days. Uh, Pinball Number Count by the Pointer Sisters from Sesame Street. <laughs> One, I, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I can't. My I Lord. can't stop. Now I found a cover of it that's that's even better, or like at least mastered better and recorded better. Um, and I've been listening to that version 
Um, and I definitely want to learn how to play that because that's just such a cool little riff that's like an ear, total earworm. Um, but other than that, a lot of Medeski, Martin, and Wood going Ooh. on. Um, Chester, I'm sorry, what's his name? Cyrus Chestnut, Roy Hargrove, Oscar Peterson, Rio Fukui, Art Farmer, Kenny Burrell, uh, Joshua Redman, Elastic Band, Sonny Rollins, Kenny Drew, uh, Grant Green, and um, I don't know. I've just been listening clearly to a lot of jam jazz mostly. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, let me see. Let me pull up my latest. I, I have like this just ephemeral playlist that I just keep for, you know, I, I drive into New York a couple of days a week for work. So I always want something different to listen to. And, and, and invariably on the way home, it's always Steely Dan, like on, on of course. you know, shuffle, but, um, let's see what's on this. I have a couple tracks. I'm, I'm a big REM fan yeah. and I never got into the new adventures in hi-fi album. That was sort of the end of them for me is, you know, last, I think it was the first album without Bill Barry, or maybe it was the last one with him. I forget, but, um, it never really hit me. And then for some reason I just popped it on. I think I read an article about it or something like it had an anniversary and, uh, song bittersweet me is just fantastic. So that's on my playlist. Um, Dead of Winter by the Eels, because I was just reading again about um, how when Walter Becker died, Donald Fagan put up, a, I guess, a snippet of the lyrics from that song um, as sort of part of his tribute to Walter. So I was like, I don't think I know that tune. So I went and dug it up, put it on the playlist. Good uh, Beginnings by Chicago. Okay, <laughs> easy. 100%. Uh, let's see. Excursions by Tribe Called Quest. Awesome. Things We Do for Love by 10CC. Total bubblegum bullshit pop from the 70s, but it's yeah, catchy. But it's still good. I heard that oh, yesterday yeah. at the, I don't remember where I was, somewhere in public, but heard, <laughs> it, heard, heard it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, probably, right? Supermarket. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. Uh, Stormy Monday, the Fillmore East version from the Almonds. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, that's just one of my favorite blues jams ever. It's, it's great. Let's see. Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. Um don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. Gotta have that cowbell. Oh, for sure. I saw them um, for free one time in, in like in Copeg over here. Cause I get, yeah. I think they're from Long Island. So they played like a free show and all the dads between age 45 and 70 <laughs> brought cowbells. Like, like then they don't know, they didn't know each other either. They were just like different people with different crowds of like, they all came alone. And as soon as, uh, well, not Godzilla, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper came on, they were all standing up doing this and like moving their hips and shit. It was, I was just like, this is very Long Island. Let me just. And I, I bet the band's like, ugh. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, they're probably like, yeah, we get it. Dance, monkey, dance, do the thing. I know. Yeah, of course. Uh, I felt I, I actually, felt sec I felt pain secondhand pain from it. To oh, be honest. I, I can't even imagine they they or you know they just smile and roll with it and they're like, well, you know, I'm I'm just glad we're here. You know, I think some bands just have that like I don't care. You know, Dance Monkey, I'll, I'll I'll play the music, I'll play the hits. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm getting paid, so I think it goes both ways. Um, Fly like an eagle, Steve Miller band, and the reason why you know, I mean, that's an evergreen song for me. But um, I was reading how. Um, there's this guy on TikTok and he basically does breakdowns of songs. So like, you know, kind of like a Rick Beato kind of thing, but, um, it's not Charles Bennett, like little, is it? no, I can't think of his name. Um, I could probably find him, but, um, he's a recording engineer and he'll just do like a one to two minute video and just give you like a quick overview of like, okay, you know, check this out. This is why this is such a great recording. And this is how this track was recorded. And this is what it sounds like, you know, soloed and, that sort of stuff. And he did just the rhythm section for Fly Like an Eagle. And it, it, not that you can't hear it with the rest of the song around it, but it just swings like on its own. It's, it's weird. So I just was like, all right, I got to listen to that song a few times. So I did. Yeah. You don't, you um, don't notice when it's layered and everything. And then you, and then it becomes more obvious when it's isolated. I, yeah. Like Green Earrings. You know, that's the thing. It's Green Earrings is, is like the funkiest track I think they ever recorded, Steely Dan. But, if you go on YouTube, there's a couple different um, versions of like, you know, alternate takes that were just rehearsals with no vocals and no leads. And somebody did like a seven minute remix 
of just the rhythm section. I would it's, love it's, to hear that. Uh, maybe I'll post it in the, the show notes. It's, it's crazy. Or I'll just text it to you after too. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Uh, Super Rich Kids by Frank Ocean, one of my all-time favorite songs. He's great. Ah, uh, he's awesome. Um, new one to me, Been to Canaan by Carol King. Like, you know, I know all the, the Carol King, you know, all-time hits, but I'd never heard that song before, and I forget where I stumbled across it, but I was like, ah, oh, digging this, so I threw it in my playlist. Um, and Buffalo Tom, I'm a huge Buffalo Tom fan. I don't know if you're familiar. No, you're going to have to enlighten me. Yeah, they're um, a trio out of Boston. They started in the early 80s and, you know, they they kind of came up through the late 80s alternative rock era mm-hmm. um, and sort of lasted pretty much through the beginning of grunge and then they kind of fell off the, the radar. But um, great bands and they're still making music. So they actually just put out a new single. And their album's supposed to come out sometime, uh, I think, in the spring. So I'm really excited about that. Cool. Sweet. Yeah. Right, well, I'll check that out. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. So what else? Oh. Memes. I think we should talk about memes. Oh, before we do that, I wanted to make yeah. a recommendation. There's this band sure. called The Silver Seas. And I think they're probably their biggest claim to fame was um, – I think Catch Your Own Train, which appeared in ba- Breaking Bad. Um, but they made an album called Chateau Revenge in like 2011 or 12. And it, for some reason, never blew up. But there's a couple songs on there that like totally deserve to be on the radio. And I, I would be surprised if anybody disliked them. They're like that kind of songs. I'm going to send them over to you. One of them is called... um um. What's the drawback? And the other's called best things in life. And they're just two absolute bops that I, I, you know, I still to this day, absolutely amazed that there's only like 10 or 12,000 plays on YouTube. And, and I think they took it off of streaming. They probably just like weren't getting enough streams on it where they didn't want to pay to keep it up anymore. But when you get a chance, look those two up there, you'll, you'll, I have yeah. a feeling you'll like them very much. Oh, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Memes. Memes. Yeah. <laughs> so long so you've funny got some to say you've out got loud. Some ex- it is, but you you've got some experience in the in the, the shit posting arena, right? So a little bit, yeah. Um I don't know yeah. if you want to talk about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine if you don't. No, no, I'll do it. Um I guess, you know, I'm I'm thirty and I've probably been on the internet for at least 20 of those years, 22 probably. So I'm like, I did have a childhood that was not like super formative with the internet and like phones and stuff, but also found stuff way too early. Like I found, I found the, uh, the effort gently tenacious D music video, which is, which is, I think illustrated by John Crick Falusi for Brennan Stimpy, who was a sick and is to this day, a pretty sick guy. Um, so you can imagine that the things in that, I was like, not really fit for an eight year old, but, um, you know, I stuck with it. I didn't get discouraged. I kept going and I I became a fully, you know, shaped man of the internet. Um, but I pretty much watched memes, um, go from like their conception around like 4chan ish in, and then watch them like get past to Reddit. And then watch them get passed from there to Facebook and then just spread to everywhere and then like have people figure out how to make them. And I've just kind of watched the way that they evolved over time. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think that it's an, it's a miracle that they ever ended up as the, the, the that's the, the deep levels of satire that, it, that are in memes today ever ended up being mainstream. Um, in 2011, when they reached Facebook and they were like, a lot of wine moms making like minions memes. I not that I am not shitting on them or their existence. And I don't mean to sound like an elitist, but it was it was hard to watch it get watered down to that extent. And um and I'm I'm pleased that to this day, uh they're 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 as satirical as they are to the point where like you might not have any idea what the hell the joke is. <laughs> um, but um that stuff I guess turned out to be a job for me. <laughs> um 
I would never think that, you know, spending all that time looking at the dumbest shit you've ever seen on the internet would be training for anything. But, um, I made friends with a bunch of meme page admins from Instagram from like the early days of, of when that became popular, like 2016, 2017, 18 kind of thing. And, uh, one of those guys named heck off Supreme ended up getting hired by Slim Jim to help, uh, create content for their, their social media pages. And they were so successful, they grew they grew the page to like seven hundred thousand followers or something. And when they expanded the budget, they hired me, and I came on and continued to shit post and leave very annoying comments all over the internet that were either witty or insightful or or funny or just annoying, and to, to the point where like you know their reputation spread and it becomes like a an attrition game, a funnel. Like you're getting a certain amount of impressions as the original post. Those people, you know, certain amount of people see you, certain amount of people like it. Then a certain much smaller percentage visits the page. And if they like what they see when they get there, they follow you. So I did that until the page grew from like 700,000 followers to like 1.4 million. And, uh, and then I did it again for Mountain Dew Gaming uh, on Twitter. Mostly I handled, but, um, you know, I was grateful for the opportunity to make culturally authentic content that was like stupid enough and not too watered down by brands. I did this constant, you know, battle with, uh, not battle. Like we had a very nice relationship with their legal department and their brand managers or whatever, but some of, I wish I could show you some of the stuff that got turned down (laughs) (laughs) because they let me do quite a bit. So as you can imagine, the, the stuff that they turned down was probably the funniest stuff um i will share it with you um if there's a way to maybe link a copy of it in the in the footnotes of the of the episode i'll upload it to google drive or something and and you can lay your eyes upon the holy meat sock which (laughs) which you can figure out what that is later That's amazing. Um, that's really impressive. You know, it's basically doubling their their following. <clears throat> well, yeah, they passed a torch to me. I just knew how to carry it. Um, right. But yeah, what they did was particularly impressive. But yeah, definitely never thought that I would leave. I have a finance degree. I never thought that I would leave banking to... to, to I mean, to banking to do marketing, maybe. But when you look at it under that specific lens, it's like, wow, uh, you know, I walked away from banking to do... Very stupid internet pictures, and I I haven't regretted it a single day since. <laughs> I don't blame you. That's my dream to get paid to make memes, man. Like you know, how 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 sweet of a gig would that be? Without all the the corporate pressure and the and the the lawyers and the marketing people getting getting yeah. pissy, but yeah. yeah, that's 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 most of it. To be honest with you, it's like it's a lot of it's. A, I know I make it sound like fun, but like a lot of it is no different from any other work. Um, it's it's work. A lot of strategy, a lot of deck building, a lot of hand holding, a lot of like, you know, selling in ideas and, and, you know, you become more well-rounded from, you know, all those interpersonal interactions and, and the politics involved. But, um, the, the one thing I think about it that keeps me sane is getting to make stupid shit. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, uh, I just wonder sometimes if, you know, I, I know there are a few people in the, in the, the Steely Dan universe that, that see my stuff and have liked it or made comments and it just blows me away. Like Elliot Randall, I think followed my account. Yes. Um, Lenise Bent, do you know who she is? Mm, I feel like I recognize her name, but no, I don't. She was, she was one of the assistant engineers that worked on, I think it was just Asia. She might've been around for Gaucho too. Um, she tells a really funny story and, and you got to find that I, I can't remember if it was on a podcast or on YouTube, but again, I'll, I'll try to remember to link it. Um, she was in the studio when they were recording home at last and famously Donald wanted to keep recording the words well, the over and over again until it sounded the way that he wanted to. In, in like the, the thousands of times where he was like, nope, rewind it. Let's do it again. Well, the, I don't like that one. Well, it didn't sound like, you know, you get the idea. So for, for like hours upon days, apparently they were trying to nail that well, the part. And she said, I was about to pull my hair out. You know, she's like, I went to my boss and I just said, I, I went off this job. I can't do it anymore. If I hear well, the one more time, I'm going to lose it. 
So anyway, she seems like she's really cool, and she followed um, my my meme page, and she she's actually liked a few things that I posted. So that that to me is like you know it just makes me really happy. It's it's super exciting, and it's nice to see. You know what it is too. I think that there's so many people in the the uh, the cinematic Danverse because of how many people that they've they've had in and out of the studio and in and on tour. Um, that like you know there there are a lot of them floating around and some of them are very personable and cool and want to connect and like elliot randall also i don't know i think i must have like collaboratively posted a cover or something with dealing stan uh the, the other main page and i and elliot ended up following me too and i was like oh wow like i'm sure for him he's just like very flat greg roley like also is very like if you talk to him he's just like he'll answer any he'll answer you five times in a row on the same thread until oh, you, wow. until you stop like he's like a really he's like i really appreciate my fans you know um it's cool but i think i i got to talk to uh latanya hall once she's in the danettes right now um because somebody like made it a, somebody was trying to impersonate her so i just like gave her a heads up and she was like thanks you know <laughs> um but i think probably the the coolest one is i i actually met michael uh leonhardt a couple times oh wow. um yeah, uh, the the first time that I spoke to him, he I guess um, you know how you're not supposed to record Steely Dan shows. Um, Judd Apatow, the director, uh, I guess must have, and of course, anytime somebody posts about Steely Dan, we hear about it, right? So like this happened to be on one of the pages that I follow. They they like reposted Judd Apatow's picture of him at a Steely Dan concert, and uh, and the caption was like. I know that you're not supposed to record Silly Dan, but like I'm, you know, this is the most memorable moment of one, one of the most memorable moments of my life. I'm, uh, I, you know, sue me, whatever. So, you know, the algorithm also shows you um, the comments of people that you follow, like it prioritizes it toward the top. So Michael's comment is at the top with like no interaction. It's just because I follow him and it says like, hey, Judd, like we forgive you. Was this the North Carolina show? You know, um, and I replied to him and I said, um, this is Judd's secretary. Like, yes, this was the <laughs> North Carolina show. And thank you so much for a wonderful show or whatever. And then I went to just like do whatever. And I came back to my phone 20 minutes later and I have DMs from Michael. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey, like, you know, send me an address to send some merch to you and Judd. <laughs> And then, and like, I guess he didn't know about the unsend button because I messaged him, like, you know, when I got back to my phone and I was like, hey, Mike, like, I'm actually just a super fan. I am totally not <laughs> Judd's secretary that he brought to his Steely Tech concert. And he was like, yeah, I figured that out pretty quickly. Uh, and uh, I felt bad. But um, later, uh, like six months later, um, I ran into him outside of Central Park. I had just went and saw three shows, the last three shows of their most recent tour before they were, uh, the, was it the Absolutely Normal tour, but or the one after that? The, it was the one after that, before they started opening for Eagles. Um, I saw the last three of that with Gordon from Double Wonderful. And um, the next day after the last show, I ran into him on 72nd Street outside of Central Park and was just like, like like just straight just straight like soy jack pointed at him like you know and like he was like he's like because uh, no one who probably he probably doesn't get stopped on the street all the time you know i think he's a legend but like his he's not like his face is all over magazine so he stops and he, i think he assumed that he that i knew that like he knew me and he's like trying to place me and i was like I was like, I'm just like, I'm just a super fan of Thor. I know who you are. And he was, and he chatted with me for like 30 seconds. I was like, I also have a confession. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, I'm Judd Apatow's secretary. And he was like, oh, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. He's like, I'm scared. He's like, oh, he wasn't like actually pissed. Like, but like a chumily was like, oh, pish. And like, and then like left. And then, uh, okay now fast forward like another nine months and i went and saw his brass band at um at lunatico in in brooklyn and um after the show i went up to him and i told him like let me i want to buy a couple of your 45s um and he was like looking at me and uh the, 
by the way, for some reason, is it a man ain't supposed to cry or or Phantom Raiders? One of the songs that they play before when they open concerts yeah. or in between was playing on the radio, and I was like, "Did you do this?" And he was like, "No, I didn't do this. That the house did this." He was like, "He's like, isn't that weird though?" <laughs> like, when when do you ever hear that? It just happened to be on. Um, but he's like staring at me, and he's like what's your name? And I was like, Louie. And he's like, I thought you were Louie. He was like, I ran into you in Central Park. Like, and I was like, how the fuck do you remember that? And my name, <laughs> I guess the Judd Apatow thing stuck with him. So he signed my shit and I told him, you know, I'll go get cash if you want cash or I could Venmo you. And he's like, I'll let you Venmo me. So he's flipping through looking for his username. And I, by the way, once, once I found it, I saw that he like, had not Venmoed anybody in two years. So I was like, it was very nice of you to let me send you something that you probably don't use, but he couldn't find his username for like five minutes. I'm not even exaggerating, like five whole minutes that we're standing there. And he's like scrolling through his notes, looking for it. So I, so do you know on Donald Fagan's uh, sunken condos record that Mike, uh, Michael Linhart produced, he also played drums, I think, on yeah. on every track is or on every his, single under the track. Pseudonym Earl Cook Jr. Yeah, and I think he assumes that nobody knows that. So he's searching for his username, and I was like, "You having a hard time there?" And he was like, "He's like, yeah, I'm just looking for the name." I was like, "If I search Earl Cook Jr., it'll come up, right?" And he was like, <laughs> "He like did the full like double triple take." He's like, "What the fuck did you just say?" And I was like. If I search Earl Cook Jr., I, uh, it'll come up and I pay you. And he's like, how the fuck do you know that? <laughs> this, they don't realize that, like, the, the 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 fan base, man, like, we know all this I'm trivia. Like, yeah, dude. I'm, like, I'm autistic, yeah. bro. What do you think? Like, <laughs> I, So I have a long – he's a very good sport. I have a long history of – of um busting chops with him and he and he's taken it very well and still sometimes – to this day, uh, if he ever replies to me in his comments, refers to me as Judd Apatow's secretary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Pretty ridiculous. I love it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned, like, you know, not not being recognized. And I feel like, yeah, the average music fan, even, even the average Steely Dan fan wouldn't know who the hell he was if they bumped into him on the street. And, you know, Fagan and Becker said they never got recognized because, you know, before the internet, right? I mean, right. Nobody knew who the hell they were, and he was just walking around Manhattan doing this thing, anonymous, and you know, not many people. Pretty good knew deal. Who he was, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you didn't see him in a magazine, you probably didn't see him. There, there's that clip from Walter where he's like, uh, "You know what I like when people come up to me and they say, you, you're, that, you're guy. that guy from Steely Dan, aren't you?'" And and I say, "Well, yeah, yeah, I am." And, he's, and then they go, "No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> That's what I like." <laughs> And who else can get away with that, uh, you know, yeah. at the, after their co caliber of, like, what they've done, you know? Yeah. Oh, that funny. whole documentary is just, so uh, it's, I mean, it's so quotable and it's so memeable. I've, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. The, the, the plush TV jazz rock party also has some funny moments, too. Like yeah. when they're talking about Cousin Dupree. And he's like, yeah, it's a traditional country tune. It's like a funk. It's like weird funk jazz shit. It's like just about incest has nothing to do with you know that obviously that's the joke about the traditional country shit but just the so they're so tongue-in-cheek yeah yeah they have so many just this is dry and that that's what i love it's my kind of humor and they have so many inside jokes i guess even among them the, the two of them you know that that nobody else even in the band like knew and they would just crack each other up all the time which you know i, I love I think that. that's yeah i think that's lovely it is it is yeah, man. So what else? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Let's, uh, what kind of guitars you got? Oh, hey, good question. I was going to ask you about your telly. So, uh, oh, I'll show you. Start. Yeah, Go ahead, though. I'll, 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 I was just going to say, I don't want to take it off the wall because it's, you know, long story, but. Um, I have a 93, uh, made in Japan. Yeah. I bought it at 93. I'm old. I'm 52. Um, well, you know, I have, it. oh, well, thank you. It's good to, good to hear. Yeah. Honest I don't truth. feel it. You know, I, I feel like, um, I'm, I'm firmly, uh, you know, in my thirties somehow. <laughs> that's what, I, that's, that's what I'm picking up. So you're, you're doing it right. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I bought it new, um, and it's pink paisley made in Japan reissue from the 1968 or 69. I forget what the original one was. And I just wanted something different, you know, and, and back when I was, I was 21 at that point, I was really into Led Zeppelin and really into classic rock and, you know, sixties British stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, just, you know, uh, looking at all the different, you know, the Eric Clapton's the full guitar and Jimmy Page had all these cool hand painted guitars and shit. And I was like, I want something different. So I went to Sam Ash, I think in Cherry Hill, New Jersey and walking around looking for something to caught my eye and i see this thing and i'm like oh that's so cool and i'm like can i pull off a pink guitar and i'm like fuck it yes i can <laughs> exactly that's all it so takes I, to pull anything off is fuck it yes i can yeah absolutely and at the time i didn't care so you know bought it um got into a band a few years later and and played and besides that i've got a guild acoustic uh, my daughter who's 17, I bought her guitar a few years ago and she plays once in a very blue moon, but, um, she's got a Yamaha dreadnought and I have a Squire, uh, jazz bass. Dude, that's cool. Oh, I love yeah. playing those things. And then the guitars I got rid of, which I'm still kicking myself, you know, 20 years later, but you know, shit happens and you, you do stupid stuff and then you regret it. But I used to have a guild. I can't think of the name of it. It was like a thin line electric acoustic. It was like a, almost like a short scale guitar. Right. Um, thin, real thin body, but you could play it unplugged and it sounded fine. Um, but cool. it, it had a neck that felt like an electric. So you could really... It was easy to play, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Sold it. Um, had a Marshall stack at one point with all the, the effects stuff in a rack and sold that <laughs> because when we started gigging with the band I was in, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this every night. <laughs> yeah. It's too, it's too much. You know, do you want your it's Marshall stack or your neck not thrown out? You know? Exactly. <laughs> so I switched over back in the day to a, a line six. The modeling for the first generation one that was fun that was a lot of fun i spent way too much time in my bedroom dialing in different patches to try to sound like you know whoever. whatever song we were playing i mean like I, I was always a little bit obsessive with it so like if we were doing you know i don't know alice in chains i would try to get a distortion patch to sound like alice in chains yeah. like i wanted to sound like what, what we were doing yeah but you know i spent just hours upon hours upon hours i'll never get back but it was so worth it um, and now I kept since college, um, I have a, I think it's like an 87. I got to look and see. I'm pretty sure it's an 87. I have a Mesa Boogie Studio 22, little, little tube amp. That's cool. It's the coolest thing ever. That's cool. And that, that's what I'm playing through it. nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I will. Good. Um, yeah, I don't know what I got here. I mean, I'm, I'm just using an electric amp with like presets that I could like edit i guess it's not uh it's certainly not kosher but uh i just do it because it's easier uh, i do have pedals and stuff but i i never got too technical with like gear to be honest with you i know it's a hole that i would probably spend a lot of time and money in um that i've been meaning to get around to doing but haven't yet which my wallet's probably pretty happy about um <laughs> but it's a it's a fender mustang gt 100 watt amp um, oh nice so you know that's that's keeps me entertained enough and it gets loud enough so i'm just like you know that's fine for now i have a really cool um sky sky brand i don't know what sky is but it's this acoustic bass it's like very smooth to play it's like just looks like an acoustic guitar but it's a bass and then uh my uncle who i guess is on um some sort of political kick is to get rid of all of his chinese gear um sent me which Fine by me, a uh, a Chinese um, Telecaster, which I have here. Actually, I'll hold it up. Bang bang! Oh, there you go, oh. right on the ceiling. <laughs> it, it was the it was the peg. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, good. But uh, yeah, oh wow, pretty pretty cool uh, setup there. It's like a bridge. It looks yeah, it's you know, but um, which I, I hope the string doesn't move if I hit it too hard. But um, yeah, a humbucker and what is that? I don't know P ninety. Yeah, that's a that's a single coil. Single coil. Don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I just play the thing. Um, and then you know um, I have like another one. That's a Squire, and I have another Squire Strat. And um, 
but there's two that actually, if 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 you don't mind, I'll grab them and I'll show them. Yeah, to no, you. please, please, that'd cool. be cool. Uh, yeah. Upstairs, I have a twelve-string nineteen seventy-six Ovation, um, wow. and uh, nylon-string Cordoba, um, which you know, I I learned like when I was like twelve. I learned like classical gas by Mason Williams. Is that his name? Whatever it is. And and uh, the Unforgiven by Metallica was just like, of course, <laughs> obviously, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, hang hang on one second. I'll show you these other two. Yeah, sure, cool. I have returned. I see. So sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah. Lots of zippers and clanking. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, um, I wanted a guitar that kind of sounded, you know, that was like more fitting for like a lead. Um, for like, if I want to learn, you know, riffs or solos or whatever. So this is a Fender, um, 66. Um, so it's like a 1960 jazz bass body, but it's a six string. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's got a C neck and the, and the Strat headstock. Um, but, and although it looks like a Strat, it's actually a jazz bass, but you could see the angle on it. Yeah, oh yeah, sure, and then you know, and the knobs and the, and the, and the pick guard yeah, too, and the plate and everything. But it's got the two lipstick boys in the humbucker, and it sounds pretty cool. I think it has five. It has five settings, um, but I like that the knob is also nowhere near where I would strum because a lot of times I strum on the Stratocaster and change the knob because I'm not a professional, <laughs> you know. So this is like <laughs> nice and out of the way. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty neat design. I I was pretty excited to get my hands on this. I've never seen one of those. That's cool. Um, I think it's from a from a product line called um, Alternate Reality. That's what I, I think it's called. Alternate Reality. So so you know that's the premise. Is like they took the text there, took all their favorite features from multiple different guitars, and like and just put it into one kind of. And there like were, a mashup. Yeah, there were a few of them. I, the one I all wanted actually was um, was natural body. Like it was like that wood, you know, which looked really cool. But unfortunately, the guy that was trying to sell it was on Mercury, which is like, in my experience, a notoriously unscrupulous site. Like they don't do a great job regulating like f like fraud and scamming or like dishonest tactics on there. So. Yeah, so this guy not not to talk about you know bad about it, but the few times I interacted with sellers on there, like it was just like something was something wasn't quite right. Um, and this guy was trying to sell it for like full price, um, you know, after like you know needing it for years or whatever. But I don't know. I ended up paying full like like the listing price for this next one, um, which is the the yeah I guess that's another Strat headstock. But a uh, different color wood, um, but yeah, the Telecaster Troublemaker Deluxe. Um, so this, look, it's you. That's pretty. <laughs> um, yeah, Ice Metallic Blue or whatever it's called. Uh, Three-way switch, two humbuckers. These are actually the guy that sold it to me. Put these on there. They're from Creamery in the UK. Um, and four knobs and this like you know, this pretty cool trim and this background wood. This is probably like, this thing never goes out of tune. Like you could, you could pick it up after like a year with like oxidized strings and like, it's still intonated and just is still in tune. I don't know mm. how, but you know, I, I, I love this thing. And I think people on the internet, the, the other one was the alternate reality. This is parallel universe. No, so, okay. so people on the internet joke and they call this the Fender Les Paul, as you could see, obviously. <laughs> right. So, yep. so if you, you know, this is like, instead of a Les Paul, cause I have scoliosis and I can't carry a 20 pound guitar for two hours. I have this one at eight pounds and, uh, it's not really the same thing, but I have a lot of fun on it. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but, it sounds good too. Yeah. The, the premise there, I guess is par the, the, all the other ones, alternate reality, this parallel universe. So in a parallel universe where Fender invented the Les Paul, this might be what it looks like. kind of <laughs> Right. Right. Um, but yeah, nice. That's a, lots of lots of fun, and then my piano. Uh, now I, I got to show you. You got to show me. Show me. I got to show you. Yes, yeah. you do. See, this is what I was looking for. <laughs> Here's my baby. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah, there it is. Make, 
It's got the maple neck, standard tele headstock. Um, it looks like a ding on there, but it's just a light reflecting. It's, there's no there's no ding on the headstock. I have a couple on the body from just you know playing out, but I also um, ripped is... out the I ripped out the old single coil stock pickup and threw in a Demarzio stacked humbucker um, because some of the stuff we were playing it was it was the mid nineties. So we we're doing like alternative and grunge and. You know, the, the telly pickup just didn't do it. Right, um, right. I, I love telly pickups, but it's not for that. Yeah. So that, that made it a little more versatile. Um, I, 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 the guy that I took it, the guitar shop I took it to, the guy that was working on it was like this older dude who was like a jazz guy. And he was like, yeah, damn kids and your freaking humbuckers. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, why would you ruin such a nice guitar and put this freaking pickup in it? You know, you just play it stock. It's funny. He it was, he was busting my chops. Um, but then um, for a brief time, I bought used – I forgot where I got it. Probably the same music shop. I used to go there all the time. Um, I got a Mexican Strat, and it was cherry red with a maple neck, and it was a Strat Special. So it was uh, two single coils and a humbucker, but it was a stock Fender humbucker, and it wasn't great. So I ripped that out and threw a Seymour Duncan um, stacked humbucker in that thing. And it had a five-way switch and a coil tap so I could take the humbucker off, which I never did, of course. Um, and that thing was just awesome. And then it was it was, it was was a casualty of you know get, getting married and combining stuff into a, a small apartment. You know, She was like, you don't need two guitars. I'm like, but I do. Yeah, I know. She's like, yeah, well, you know, you don't. You got gas, so, man. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's what I was struggling with for a minute there. I'm like, don't, I don't want to catch a bad case of guitar acquisition. <laughs> I came real close. I can, I got those two that I just showed you last, like within like nine months of each other. They're totally unnecessary. Um, but yeah, that's just how it happens. That Paisley is sick, dude. I've never seen a guitar with Paisley on the front like that before. Really? Yeah. No, I'm not. It's funny because like the weirdest people actually have the same guitar. Melissa Etheridge had it and I was like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. Brad Paisley, of course, has a Paisley telly. I think he has a pink one. Um, I forgot who else. Somebody recently that I saw playing one and I was like, oh, wow, they have, they have my guitar. I forgot who it was, but yeah. Well, uh, do you remember how it made you feel when you found out? That'll help us narrow it down. Uh, I think I was okay with it. I think I think I've gotten past the whole, you know. <laughs> I've had this thing, you know. I, I've known it longer than my wife. You know what I mean? At this point, so <laughs> it's got a special place in your heart that it's can't got, be exactly. Can't yeah, be I don't care, and, and I keep. I try to keep it, you know, maintain. I don't like. I said I don't play it that frequently, but you know, I just changed the strings a few months ago and gave it a good once over and. Some point I got to take it into the the shop because I think the neck needs a little bit of adjustment. And I don't want to do it myself. I'm always afraid to mess with the truss rod, especially on such an old guitar. I'm afraid I'm going to crack something or tweak something the wrong way. Yeah, you know? it's not it's not worth it. It's better to just take it to somebody that's got a good reputation with that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Always. All right. Well, show and tell's over. We're just about at an hour. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Otherwise, I feel like uh, we covered a lot of good ground, man. I think we did. I think we did. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure sure we could go on for hours, but probably. Uh, yeah. Uh we'll have to do another episode at some point, maybe. Down the line. Down the line. Anytime. All right, good. Well, Lou, thanks again. This has been great. I've really appreciated having you on and it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh Stay on for a minute after I stop recording, if you don't mind, because there's some housekeeping. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This has been uh, nothing short of uh, an honor and a pleasure. And it's, well, thank uh, you. it's a great way to meet you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again, man.